how to decarbonize your industrial footprint with the use of technology. What are digital twins and how they can help our businesses and what is the role of data in making more informed decisions about our business and our customer? Well, these are some of the questions we'll explore today in this new episode of the VAB podcast that features our guest Mike Stanson, who's the head of innovation for Kingspan Group, board member at Invicar and Synthesia Technology, and who's had a number of years responsible for the development and execution of manufacturing and supply chain strategies for a number of operation centers across Central, Eastern Europe, and Russia. But before getting to our chat with Mike, let me remind our audience about the purpose of this podcast. Across the episodes, we leverage on our guests' knowledge to learn with them about how you can become a better advisor and how you can accelerate your career and your business. Here's your host, Andrea Iorio speaking. I'm an Italian keynote speaker to more than 100 companies per year, focusing on digital transformation, leadership and innovation, and a best-selling author of two books. I'm based out of New York City now, and I worked over the last 10 years in Brazil as the head of Tinder and as chief digital officer at L'Oreal and where I today teach at the Executive MBA of Fundação Dom Cabral. And to start off our conversation, Mike, I wanted to get a bit more of understanding of your background, so tell us more about your story, of who Mike is, so that our audience can get to know you better. Mike, welcome to the VAB podcast, welcome to the show, we're so delighted to have you here. Uh, how's it going? Are you in Czech Republic now? How's it going there? Hey. Hi, Andrea. Great to be great to be here. Uh, delighted uh, to have the opportunity to uh, have the conversation. And uh, yes, I am in the Czech Republic. Getting ready for the winter, I guess. Well, yeah, that's... it's just around the corner, even though the weather is beautiful right now with like 17, 18, 19 degrees C, which is great for the middle of October. That's a <laughs> blessing. Definitely. Uh, I love that country. So Let's start off, uh, Mike, and I'm sure people are already curious about uh, your background since, I, you know, in the introduction, I introduced a little bit about you. Also curious about, you know, how did you end up in Czech Republic? Tell us a little bit more about your story. And so giving an overview of your background, uh, of your career, and who is Mike? Okay, so, so I, I work for an Irish uh, company called uh, the Kingspan Group, or a global uh, provider of uh, building materials with a particular emphasis on sustainability. And I work for them as their global head of innovation. Um, been doing that for a few years, um, uh, five to be exact. But my background is really in terms of manufacturing, supply chain, and operations. And uh, for 10 years before that, I ran for one of the Kingspan divisions. Uh, there are six divisions. So one division I ran there. Um, uh, Central and Eastern European manufacturing operations. Did that for about 10 years, and in that 10-year uh, time frame, the business uh, grew uh, substantially. Um, and uh, it was great to be part of that growth, um, building factories, opening factories, closing factories, moving factories, all of that stuff. So that, would that um, from a supply chain point of view, was, was, was brilliant. Uh, prior to that, I had actually worked in a totally different industry, completely unrelated with construction materials in the world of electronics, uh, again, from a manufacturing point of view, okay. um, kind of uh, electronics, uh, technology, and um, uh, again, moving factories, opening factories, managing that initially in Ireland and then um, in uh, Central Europe, which is ultimately how I ended up. Um, in this part of the world, uh, living here for the last uh, 10 years or so. 
and um, uh, early part of my career was again in kind of engineering and product and production and process and quality and again associated with 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 the operating with the operating world within the electronic sphere. Um, if I jump back to today, um, so in addition to the head of innovation role, I sit on a couple of boards, companies associated with the company I work for. One is in the area of speciality chemistry uh, called Centesia in Spain, in Barcelona, um, in Catalonia. And uh, the second one is um, an early stage company um, called Invacara in Dublin, who are engaged in the creation uh, of uh, digital twins again, for construction spaces, which is, I think, something we'll come back to perhaps later on, right? Definitely. I want to in, touch in on of, that. Yeah. In terms of other. Super interesting. So, um, uh, and I grew up then in the West of Ireland, uh, educated in Ireland, uh, and uh, did a degree a long time ago in, in uh, Galway University um, and uh, set out on, on the journey that gets me to where I am today. That's amazing. Uh, I'm based out of New York, so Colombia is a great one. Um, what stands out from your background, which is quite diverse, uh, to me is a number of things. Well, first of all, the combination of manufacturing and technology, which is something we'll uh, get back to, which I think is something very much related to you sitting on boards of a digital twin company that, you know, for who's not familiar, we're going to explain it later on, but it's not like, you know, a clone of yourself. It's just, you know, <laughs> we'll get there. It's like a, a, a 3D representation of uh, could be equipment and We'll get deeper into exactly the company you sit on the board of um, basically does. But another thing that stands out is your knowledge of ESG and decarbonization practices, right? So a first question for you, uh, at least is on my side, is ESG basically being sufficiently talked about within boards? Because you sit on a number of boards and uh, you interact with a lot of people that sit on boards as well. And so... Uh, is it considered an issue that it is determinant to business or not too much? And if it is not too much talked about, what should we do to change that and bring it up to the, you know, like conversation at the center of the conversation? Right. So, so I think, I think first of all, I'd, I'd have a, I'd have a lot more knowledge in the E space than in the S and G space. Right. Even though, yeah. So, yeah. So, but, but, but as a, as a topic, um, I think the answer to your question is it depends on you know where where the organization is at in terms of its uh, let's call it uh, progressiveness, right? Uh, I think in some organizations you'll find that it's it's uh, talked about a lot, and in others it's it's less so. And I think that's a function of where they are in their kind of journey. I think specifically around um, you know the whole decarbonization story. I mean across the construction sector, we have to talk about it again and again and again and i think more and more of us are doing that and 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 more more of that is happening because you know the, the stats are there in terms of 38 to 40 percent of co2 emissions come from buildings right and some of that comes from the operating <clears throat> side of the of the building and the rest of it uh, the the about 10 or 11 percent of it comes from the what's called the embodied uh, carbon in other words the carbon that's in the product when the, when the building is built and therefore, all of us as organizations operating in that space need to have a dual program of how we reduce the um, uh, level of carbon, both coming from a building and in the material that goes into the building. And I think to that extent, companies like ourselves and others that are in this space talk about that a lot. And I think, and, and they talk about it in the context of an overall ESG um, 
plan strategy. And that's interesting because, as you mentioned, and I totally agree with you, the level and depth of the conversation really depends on the market uh, the company is in, in the sector the company is in. So basically, let's say, of course, within a construction company or a chemical company, uh, there is more... Well, I wouldn't say of course, but it is expected or expectable that within a company like that, um, it is more and more talked about, especially about the E within ESG. But mm -hmm. there might be a number of companies that still do not see that as being very relevant to them, maybe service providers or uh, tech companies and so on. Although when we see and we try to measure the carbon footprint, definitely also these companies definitely have to make uh, efforts uh, in uh, that part. Do you think there is uh, also any kind of like specific sector or specific board that should, you know, not have the E part as part of their conversation? So let's say some of the boards say, this is not for us. This is for, you know, companies of like construction materials and so on. To who thinks like that? What would you say? Should it still be well, part of the conversation? Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, like, I, <clears throat> I think it's such a, you know, um, I mean, important doesn't really do it, do it justice in terms of it's such a critical issue, right? I don't think any board or any management team anywhere can afford not to have ESG yeah. kind of like right in the center of the overall strategy. I think the question moves on, though, in terms of, well, if you're not in that, how do you get into it? Right. And I mean, you know, you know, if you look at, um, I mean, from an environmental point of view, again, if you look at the whole decarbonization and the reuse of material and so on, I mean, a lot of that can start by just examining the energy um, um, usage that you have. Yeah. Because, again, if you if you if you can um, sort that out, then you can you know create a business case in terms of saving energy. And in these days, that's even more important in terms of. There's potential benefits to the to the bottom line on that. Now you 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 move on from that then in terms of the wider sustainability agenda, and 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 again you know I think you can there's lots of examples of it being turned into quite a an interesting business, and I think what we all have to be careful of is any sort of you know greenwashing or any other type of washing about the the you know the that that there's no kind of um, that we're not focused on on delivering actual tangible results in, in, in the ESG space. I think the, the, other, the other area, right, that's um, as part of that is, you know, we're all in, and I know it's a little bit of a cliche at this stage, but we're all in this uh, battle or war for talent. Yeah. And therefore, you know, the next generation are going to be much, much more attracted and are much more attracted to organizations that have a much clearer, if you like, um, ESG philosophy than yeah. those that don't. And at least up to now, that you know that emerging generation have that choice that maybe didn't exist in other generations and other people. You know, so therefore, um, I think there's there's the business, pure business side, if you want to look at it in terms of the energy usage and other aspects of the decarbonization journey, and you have the whole people side of it that is really, um, really, really important in terms of hiring and retaining talent. And uh Talking about the Gen Z, uh, ones born after 95 that you mentioned, uh, that are more and more environmentally, uh, at least, you know, worried. Uh, there's another thing besides being employees of the companies, they're also consumers. 
And uh, uh, studies show that they have a much higher willingness to pay and a higher amount to pay for environmentally friendly products rather than non-sustainable ones. So I think there is a number of uh, uh, KPIs that show uh, that definitely should be more and more uh, as part of the conversation within boards and not just seen as a PR stunt or a PR, you know, mandatory um, campaign uh, ESG, but it's much more than that. It is a business driver. And when we talk about business drivers or especially as, you know, like uh, tools to when you talked about energy consumption, when you talked about, uh, you know, basically uh, environmental sustainability, uh, a driver to actually reduce uh, the carbon footprint, we have automation. We have what we can call as a family, you know, set of technologies and processes that we can call Industry 4.0. Um, you're an expert about, you know, Industry 4.0, which is exactly, uh, you know, the consequence of you having a background both in supply chain and manufacturing and technology. So what are some of the tips? Well, after also explaining a little bit more about Industry 4.0, what is it? Uh, according to your point of view, what are some of our tips that you can give to listeners here uh, that also work in manufacturing or generally are heavy on operations to actually better exploit the advantages of technology in automation? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I I think you know the, the there's a there's a point you know to before I get into answer that that that's that's very important. You know, I mean there, there's there's a lot of um, litter, if you like, left behind by poor implementation of automation, right? Now, there's lots of reasons probably why that is, but I, but I think <clears throat> the strategic rationale that an organization or a board or a board approving um, a, an automation direction is critically important in terms of thinking through why are we doing this? And it's a, you know, the whole question around the why in this instance is critically important. Um, and, and what the board, um, you know, approves and, and having that knowledge to be able to, you know, make that decision in terms of what it is that they, you know, that's being requested around automation, because there's lots of danger and lots of things can go wrong uh, in terms of the automation of many, many processes. Now, to go back to the question, though, I think, I mean, there can be, a, you know, a huge focus around, you know, efficiency. Uh, around um, lowering the total cost of production, um, labor saving, um, and you know, generally, you know, having a much better customer interaction, leading to a much superior customer experience. I mean, they they, they should really be the, the key drivers of why you why you should automate, whether that's a new ERP system or <clears throat> You know, just getting better data that allows you to run facilities better, smarter, and make decisions faster and quicker. And it's interesting this point that you touched upon experience. Oftentimes, we think of automation as being, you know, very much back end and basically, you know, like manufacturing and operations far away from the customer. But actually, as you mentioned, uh, we have to understand the impact of uh, automation and uh, efficiencies on the back end eventually on the customer. And oftentimes we don't see that as, you know, uh, some of the examples you made, other examples would be, you know, like the, the time to market of new products, uh, the uh, easiness uh, of, uh, you know, purchasing them uh, without having a shortage of uh, inventory and so on. I think this customer experience part of automation 
is oftentimes underlooked up to the point that a marketer or a sales manager or sales director, they do not see that as part of their responsibility or something that really like belongs to those, you know, teams, uh, operational teams. How can we, you know, integrate better this and, you know, show uh, the impact that this might have on eventually the, the, the customer? Yeah, I, I, I think it has to be set up in the context of the strategy that the unit or, or whatever, and obviously the board has a fundamental part in the creation and the, well, and the, certainly in the approval of that strategy and seeing that it's right and automation being a fundamental part of it. I think the once you once you have that strategy in place, I think there's a whole piece then around how do we get the, you know, the the whole business end to end, right? In terms of the you know the value stream from from A to Z, if you like, in terms of um, and 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 where are the opportunities to automate and and, and what what's the benefit, and and it has to be, you, you know, it has to it has to give us tangible benefit, and. <clears throat> I think there's a question then around, you know, um, you know, at that end to end, you, there's a piece around the whole customer interaction, as I mentioned. There's a whole thing in the middle around what you're doing, what your actual process is, and then how you get the inputs for those processes. And having, you know, a clear automation methodology um, is, is, is actually probably more important than the choice of the automated tool, if you like, right? Which in many respects, there's lots okay. of them available that can be implemented. Agree, agree. And also, as you mentioned, you collect data throughout it all. And uh, with the more data, the more informed decisions you can make, uh, the more you can uh, bring about efficiencies and so on. And, and if, I, if I can just jump in there for one second, I mean, there's a whole piece around data, you know, um, that's, uh, that's probably not very well understood in the sense that data, um, you know, you, you can't put your hands around it. So therefore, it, it becomes very hard to put a monetary number on it, right? But yet it's incredibly important in the, you know, in terms of not only in automation, but in loads of other areas as well. That if you cannot, you know, if you go to the board and you say, I want to spend X on automating a process or new ERP system, yeah, it's kind of understood. But I want to spend Y on, you know, gathering data then it's not as well understood. And I think that's a huge challenge, you know, that the current generation of, of you know, thinkers in this space have to, how do, we, how do we go and do that? Because it's actually becoming more and more and more critical. And if you get that right, automating and using the data to even enhance the automation, then you have almost like this reinforcing um, circle, if you like, of, yeah. of continuous improvement before you realize it all. Definitely. And actually, I wanted to take you know, like uh, 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 a jump seat from basically what you mentioned of data and pivot to something that really is one of the buzzwords today, which is the metaverse or this whole set of Web 3.0 technologies such as blockchain, uh, NFTs, metaverse. And um, why I'm talking about data, because when we look at basically um, data is the key for this new big wave of the Internet to happen. Um, and so when we talk about that, um, traditional companies often look at these, uh, uh, you know, technologies and uh, this wave of the internet as something very far, right? Uh, sometimes it's hard to understand. Sometimes it looks very distant from our day-to-day -day reality. But you actually sit on the board 
that works on digital twins. And so I'm really curious because that's uh, pretty unique. Um, and so I wanted to, to better understand from your opinion and from the work that you guys do, what a digital twin is so that our audience can better understand. And second, can you elaborate more on some of the impacts that the digital twins can have on businesses? You can pick uh, any sector that you'd like, but I'm sure there's application in many sectors. But I would like, you know, kind of like to who is still unsure about what these digital twins are. And, you know, we talk a lot about the metaverse and we talk about digital twins as being, you know, one of the key components of the metaverse. How we can better understand about that and the impact uh, they would have on businesses. Fine. Can I can I just go back uh, just to finish sure. off something on the automation piece, right? Please. Uh, for a second. Um, I mean, the, again, if you go back and you link the ESG conversation we had earlier, right? <clears throat> you know, so a lot of people will be fearful of automation that it will, you know, reduce jobs and jobs and you know reduce um, people and so on and so on. Whereas I think, I mean, obviously there's, there'll be there'll be certainly changes and we can't avoid that, right? But, but, you know, in the Western world, you know, labor is scarce today. Talent is scarce. And therefore, you know, you can justify automation even in lower cost regions of Europe that you couldn't have done 10 years ago, purely on the basis of lack of labor being available to do the task. I think that's one thing. I think the second thing is that some of the, you know, there's still a lot of people employed in quite mundane tasks that can be automated and allows those people to either upskill or take more responsibility and hopefully better themselves in that way. And again, I think there's a piece around, you know, connecting that automation back with the, the uh, social side of, of, in terms of, you know, having our employees uh, want to do better and performing better and allowing the tool set to do that. Um, That's so, a great point. Yeah. Yeah. So now back to the digital twin. Yeah. So my experience in the digital twin space is within construction. Okay, but there are digital twins that can be used for anything, anywhere, in, in almost any facet. And uh, to describe what a digital twin is, and from a construction point of view, is you know most, so probably all buildings that we have ever been in, whether we know it or not know it, historically there's a, a big folder with all the blueprints of the building, um, and at a very simplistic level. Um, the digital twin is the online in the cloud uh, version of the blueprints. Now you can extend that analogy to be a blueprint for a machine, for a car, for a transportation system, for a city, for anything, right? So basically you're taking an analog set of prints and you're digitalizing it at a very simplistic level. <clears throat> now, by having that in a, in a building, right? What it allows you to do is in terms of, in addition to the blueprints, it allows you put all the data about every single item that's in the building into that digital twin as well. And of course, by linking it with the way the building was designed, you can have the full three-dimensional image of the building, uh, fully online, fully in the cloud, and you can have as much or as little information about every single so-called asset in that building that you can possibly have or ever need. And that's only half the story, because in a building, the next and, and probably for the future, the more interesting piece is how you connect that and create an operating 
digital twin. So it gets connected to the building management system, to the sensors, to the uh, HVAC, to all the other aspects of the building, and allows you then, building all the data you have there about every single asset, you can then monitor and measure every single asset if that's what you so choose. And of course, if you don't, then you can choose to monitor and manage the assets that you put, that are most important, whether that's energy generation, energy consumption, whether it's um, the, the heating, lighting, you know, it, it, you, you, you can choose it. And, and, and the digital twin technology, I mean, the company I sit on the board of is called Invicara, and they have a very um, neat um, digital twin uh, platform. Uh, and all of that information is there. So for, for both, for, particularly for new buildings, there's a slightly different methodology needed for existing buildings where the blueprints might be old or many years old and how you kind of try to digitalize some of that stuff. And that concept of a building twin can be applied to everything, you know, from a, as I said, from a, a piece of machinery to a process to a water sewage system and, and, and everything else. So, well, first of all, I'm sure that anyone that has been listening to this is like, okay, understanding better how this can apply to his or her own industry, because uh, you use the example of construction, but definitely who's in oil and gas understands how they can create digital twins of their platforms, yep. uh, who's in retail uh, of their shelves, and so on and so forth. And so I think, uh, as you mentioned, in pharma, you can do it of, you know, like, uh, even I've heard about experiments of digital twins of uh, trial patients, right? So basically inputting all the health data and creating a simulation of that patient that you can compare to uh, the same patient taking a new drug and compare with the baseline. Um, one of the things that it made me think is that for this new generation of digital twins that you mentioned that might be coming in the future, is then the key enabler to all of this are sensors, devices, like Internet of Things. Like, how are we, at, at which stage are we there with, you know, first of all, cost competitiveness of uh, uh, the sensors, devices, even wearables for people that, to my understanding, are the ones that will make the digital twins kind of like, you know, um, uh, they remind me the word that you mentioned. Well, it was basically, you know, could be hackable. It's not the same word that you use, but you can monitor them from and, and adjust them from a centralized room. What, what are we missing to get there? Yeah, well, I, I think we need to be careful about going there, actually, particularly when it comes to people. <laughs> That's a great point. Because you have a, whole, you have a whole thing around privacy and so on that has to be really carefully managed. That's why I'm not sure that things like occupancy and occupancy sensors, uh, which are a natural extension of having a twin in a building, because now you put a sensor to figure out how many people come into it. You know, there, there are some genuine privacy concerns that have to be, have to be uh, taken, taken account of. Um, but, but I think, you know, huge amounts of the building blocks are already there. Okay. Um, and, and it's a matter of just having that connectivity. Um, and again, companies like Invicara have a lot, have a huge amount of the platform and of the, the basic infrastructure already created, right? Um, and I think it's going to continue to evolve and it'll become more and more widespread. Um, and I think the other, there, there's another piece around, you know, or another analogy I would kind of give you, if you like, right? From that to help, and again, I'm talking more about construction, but it can apply anywhere from a digital twin perspective. 
if we go back to, I don't know, 10 or maybe 15 years ago, Google Maps, right? Uh, it effectively was a digital atlas, right? Now, sure. if you look at what, what Google Maps can do, you can, you know, click on, you know, a city, a street, a restaurant, and you can go to the restaurant's website and you can, you know, order if you need be, all coming from the Google Map and the information that's there. So it's the same idea on the, on the building that uh, we can do that. Uh, and therefore, every piece of parametric information about the, about the performance of the material, the full traceability of the materials, and everything then about how you can optimize the energy, for example, or other performance of the building. But I do think there is this question around that, that we're not going to impinge on people's individual privacy in, in the building. But the technology to put all that together is certainly well established, if not well uh, rolled out yet. That's really amazing. That was really a lecture on one of these transformative technologies that I think will affect everyone's life in one shape or another. I don't know whether it's going to be the metaverse that Meta and Mark Zuckerberg are trying to sell us, but it's an industrial metaverse. It's a different type of metaverse that is made of, uh, you know, real world uh, products uh, simulated and existing on a cloud and adjustable and in which you can interact and uh, it will definitely help out with efficiency, data collection beyond, of course, well, uh, not going beyond the, the privacy uh, threshold, of course, and so on. So I think super interesting. I think uh, this really makes us uh, think and our listeners think. And um, based on that, because we're already approaching uh, almost uh, the end of our conversation, I wanted to pivot to another topic, which is uh, the topic, uh, you know, uh, through which this podcast was born, which is VAB, Virtual Advisory Board, this great network of board member, non-executive directors and advisors uh, you're also part of. So, uh, you know, I wanted to uh, hear how has your experience been at VAB so far? And um, especially for new members, um, what are some of the tips or at least some of the best practices that you use to make the most out of it? Because everyone uses or interacts with VAB differently, but I think, you know, especially as the network grows, people uh, jumping in can be overwhelmed. There's so much webinars, there's so much content, there's so much people to connect with. How does it work for you and how did you make the most out of it? Okay, so, so I think uh, um, I joined very early on, or relatively speaking early on, right, in uh, 2020. Um, partly, you know, because I knew uh, Mark Hamill, not very well, but at the time, but, you know, uh, um, and it, it was a very interesting concept, and particularly where I was with my career and my um, my life, if you like, it, it it was a very interesting thing to at least evaluate, go and do. Um, I think, and, and I think it's been great. I mean, you know, I've I, like I have I have met people, I have been at seminars, and I've had other you know interactions that just would not be possible without being part of VAB, and I think that's. You know, there's lots of things you can say about it, but but for me, that's that's the really powerful um, aspect to it. That you 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 have the possibility of getting introduced uh, and following on and perhaps working with people, right? That you would never have no chance at all. I was lucky enough that I you know I attended. Um, we we did a joint with YPO um, event in Israel earlier this year, right? And uh, again, yeah. met some amazing people right that again um are doing wonderful things in so many different areas and there'll be no chance of and i'm sure 
probably the same for them, or you know, but for me, no chance of of you know making those connections without the VAB, if you like, vehicle and platform. And it's really fantastic what David and and Mark have done in terms of pulling that together. Uh, I think the, to answer your question about for new people, I, I mean, I think the um, you know the the, the meet and greet um, meetings that happen in small groups where there's a you know somebody kind of does that and it, it's a general kind of introduction. Um, I mean, I attended a good few at the start and I hadn't done for one for a while and I went back to one recently um, that uh, Nearest did. And it was great just to reconnect with another bunch of people that I hadn't met before. For me, that's the most important in terms of early stage, because then sure. out of that, you can, you can head in a particular direction and say, well, I'll attend that or that or this, you know. Um, but I think uh, getting that, you know, getting up and running through that is, is, is a great way to start. That's really amazing. And really, people is the word that stood out from uh, everything you mentioned. And it's, it's about the people. And uh, again, the rest you can navigate, you can cherry pick what's good for you. But the interaction with people, I, I must confess also as a VAB member, it's, uh, it's uh, hard to, to find uh, in other networks. And uh, it's, it's, it's a great pleasure participating. And so I think, uh, thanks for sharing that, Mike, but uh, definitely new members uh, will be able to find out that as well. So for who's undecided, definitely uh, it's worth giving it a shot and uh, participating a bit. Um, now that we are preaching, yeah, and time flies because when, I, you know, it's good conversations and I'm also, I'm passionate about the same topics that we talked about, technology and uh, everything like that, um, time flies. And uh, I think for our listeners as well. But one last thing before we leave is that I really like to get some inspiration from uh, something that you've been reading or something that you've been listening to when it comes to podcasts related to, again, uh, this work of yours as a board member, advisor, and non-executive director. Is there anything or any piece of content or um, that you would recommend uh, anyone that's listening to also consume or read because it really helped you? Uh, in becoming a better board member. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to be to be honest, there's been some very good um, presentations from um, lots of people, both in the academic world as well as the actual yeah. practical business world, in terms of board membership that VAB have done. And I'd certainly there's a too many of them to mention that you could go back and and um, um, you know go back over. Um, I mean, for me, in in the let's say in the in, in the professional space that I occupy, right? Um, the, the, and, the, and the whole area and the whole challenge around innovation and how you make it and how you bring it up as a strategic kind of imperative in an organization. Um, I mean, there's a guy called uh, Nathan Furr, and he's a number of books, um, including a new one that talks about, you know, um, you know, managing in uncertain times. And, you know, he's a number of, uh, in terms of like the process of innovation, right? Um, but he's an author that if you're interested in that space, in terms of how you, how, you, how you position innovation in the middle of what it is that you do, while also keeping your eye, of course, on the day-to-day -day business. Um, he, he's a very, I think, practical uh, guy who has lots of ideas and who has loads of you know, ways of implementing them or whatever. So, so Nathan Four, he's a number of books that um, and I certainly recommend recommend him. I think also the other thing that's very important is that if you listen to podcasts is people who can explain complicated topics in a simple way. And there's, a, there's 
There's Agreed. lots of them um, who can do that. I mean, I'm struck back in Ireland. Uh, we have a kind of he was a bit of a celebrity economist called David McWilliams, right? Okay. And you know, some people like him, some don't. But he has a tremendously easy way to explain the most complicated, you know, economic and financial and so on globally in very very simple terms. And I think anyone who does that is fantastic. I totally agree. And much of the things that we talked about today, especially because of the tone of our conversation, I'm sure people felt similarly, or in general, people should look not necessarily who's most knowledgeable about these topics, which is also very important, but at the same time, who's able to better explain them. Sometimes there is very technical people uh, that are very knowledgeable, but eventually uh, you get out of a keynote or you get out of a podcast and uh, I'm not sure people absorb that. So I think uh, at least today we managed to get an effort and uh, uh, you managed to transmit very clearly some of these topics uh, with clarity. So congrats for that as well, Mike, because <laughs> that's definitely Perfect. one of the yeah. one of the important it's, you know, things it's, it's here. Been, it's been a joy and a privilege to have the opportunity to uh, uh, participate in this. It's our privilege, Mike. And again, as usual here at the VAB podcast, we always try to leverage on our uh, members' expertise and areas of expertise to basically share information to the others. And so uh, thanks again, Mike, for being here on the podcast. It has been a wonderful conversation, and I hope to welcome you back soon. Thanks, Andrea. See you soon. Again, Mike, thanks a lot, and I hope to welcome you soon back to our VAB podcast. Now that we've reached the end, I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and be sure to expect more and more high quality content over the next one with more guests coming to share their knowledge and ideas. So stay tuned. And if you enjoy the podcast, then don't forget to share it with your colleagues, friends, and family, whomever you think will benefit from this great episode. That's it for now from the VAP podcast and see you in the next episode.